The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship, located in Sunnyvale, California. Uh, He is risen. Now, I remember I did not grow up in the church, so I remember the first time I was probably in my 20s, I went to a church as a Christian, uh, to church that taught the Bible, and on Resurrection Sunday, the pastor said, He is risen, and the congregation shouted out in unison very loud, He is risen indeed! And... I was taken aback and somewhat surprised, and I wasn't on the end of how these people do this because I wasn't raised in the church. And so uh, that has become a custom of uh, the church of Jesus Christ, uh, echoing the very words of, as recorded in the scriptures, of the day that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, a time to celebrate. So that's what we have the great privilege of doing today is remembering and celebrating the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I would say the greatest event in the history of the world. And we're going to learn from the scriptures why this morning, uh, the sermon I put before you titled it, Because He Lives, Because He Lives, because Jesus promised during the course of his teaching ministry on earth before he went to heaven, he said, because I live, you also shall live, was a promise that he gave to his disciples. And what he meant by that was he knew he was going to go to the cross. He knew he was going to die for sin, but he also knew that he was going to be raised from the dead and ascend back into heaven, having conquered death, our greatest enemy, and because the Lord Jesus Christ came back from the dead and lives and ascended on high and even lives to this day in heaven, his promise to his people was because he lives. So also you, anyone that believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, will also be able to live eternally, even conquering the grave itself. And so we have one of the most beautiful, amazing stories and portraits of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ and one of his most wonderful promises And that's his ascension, we call it. And we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, just three verses. Uh, So if you want to go ahead and open your Bible to Acts chapter 1, we're also going to look, before we get to Acts chapter 1, we're going to look at the resurrection story in John chapter 20 and just read a few verses there as it leads up to the ascension. And before I get there, I'll let you turn there in John chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible this morning, that's okay. Uh, You can just uh, listen carefully, trust that you'll be blessed you'll be able to understand and learn with us from god's word but we'll be looking at john chapter 20 starting at verse 1 the resurrection of the lord jesus Uh, also as you're flipping there and getting ready just wanted you to know it was uh, a delight for me this morning to get to meet many visitors we have uh, people visiting from many places today which is pretty common in a a holiday throughout the year Uh, we had visitors today that i met for the first time all the way from Arizona to um, India and many other places. So we just are very thankful that you are our guests today and we just trust you're going to be blessed uh, during this time as we get the privilege of looking at God's word. Because he lives, you also shall live. Let's look at John chapter 20, verse 1 and following. This is early Sunday morning, just as the sun was rising The Lord Jesus Christ, in fulfillment of the scriptures, and just as he promised, after he was crucified on the cross, died, was buried, and on the third day, this Sunday morning, he rose again from the dead. It was a secret event. No one saw it happen when it happened, save probably God's angels. Yet there was testimony to the fact that he rose from the dead after the fact, and here's where that story begins, starting at verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week was early Sunday morning, Resurrection Sunday. 
Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb where Jesus was buried. And while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. And so she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, which was John the apostle. And she said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter, therefore, went forth and the other disciple, John, and they were going to the tomb and the two were running together. And the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first and stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And Simon Peter, therefore, also came following him, entered the tomb, and he beheld the linen wrappings lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus's head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then entered in, therefore, the other disciple, John, also who had first come to the tomb, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their homes. Verse 11. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb, and she beheld two angels in white, one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been lying. And the angel said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and behold, Jesus was standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing Jesus to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me. The terminology is very specific here. It literally means let go of me. So when Mary realized that this was Jesus and said, Rabbi or Rabboni, she grabbed him and just clung on and was never going to let go. She's lost him once. She's not going to lose her blessed Savior again. And so she's clinging to Jesus and Jesus says, stop clinging to me or let go, Mary. He wasn't being mean. He was being practical for I have not. Here's the key. For I have not yet ascended to the Father. So the life of Christ, the ministry of Christ, the crucifixion of Christ, the burial of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. Christ's mission didn't end with the resurrection. This is not the apex, Mary. It doesn't stop here. There's another great event that needs to happen in fulfillment of the scriptures and to carry on the ministry, which I have accomplished. And that is the great ascension. I need to go back to the father. And that's what the ascension is. It means to ascend, to rise up, to be lifted up and the ascension is the Lord Jesus Christ being lifted up from this earth and caught up back into heaven, back into heaven where he came from. Jesus is not just a man. Jesus is actually eternal God. The scripture is clear about that. And in John chapter six, in this very same gospel, about the middle of Jesus's ministry, he was teaching publicly in Jerusalem at a feast time and there were Jewish leaders everywhere listening in the crowd along with the multitudes and the masses of people and the pilgrims who have come literally from all over the world to celebrate the great feast day. 
in Jerusalem and Jesus is teaching publicly and in one of his public discourses, he said not less than 10 times to that crowd that he came down from heaven. I have come down from heaven. The father has sent me from heaven. It's an amazing declaration. What Jesus was saying is that before I was born of Mary and came to this earth, I used to live up in heaven. As a matter of fact, I lived with God, the father eternally before the earth was even created in eternity past. Jesus lived as the son with the father and the Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus never had a beginning. He was never created. He has always existed. Absolutely mind boggling. And he lived in perfect unity with the father and the spirit before creation. And to be the savior of the world, he agreed with the father to come down and be born into a human body so that he might be a substitute for sinners. And that's what he meant when he was telling the crowd, I have come down from heaven. I have come down from heaven. The father has sent me. The father has sent me. He said it 10 times and the Jewish leaders were becoming irate and furious, ready to accuse him of blasphemy. How, how dare you say you came from heaven? How dare you say you were with the father before creation and all of eternity that would make you equal with god who do you think you are and that's what was going through their mind and so they had great rising resentment toward the lord jesus publicly that day and after 10 times jesus saying that i have been sent from the father i've come from the father at the very end he questioned them and said okay you don't believe that i have been sent from the father someday you'll believe me when i go back and ascend back to the father is how he ended it in john chapter 6 that was a prophecy by the Lord Jesus himself that someday his crowning achievement to validate all that he did and all that he said he was would be his ascension. Leaving this earth, going back to the father whom he had been with for all eternity. An explicit prophecy of his upcoming ascension. Fast forward a year and a half, the time Jesus was arrested on trial before Caiaphas, who beat him, who mocked him, who pronounced him guilty, even though he never sinned and never did anything wrong. Jesus kept silent. He said not a word, but one of the few things that he did say is he told Caiaphas, the high priest, to his face. Someday you're going to see me coming as the son of man on clouds in glory. After my ascension, absolutely amazing. So the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ was an explicit prophecy that he made about himself. It was absolutely central and a focal point to his ministry and why he came to earth to accomplish salvation for sinners. So let's go now to Acts chapter 1. So Jesus says, let go of me, Mary. The ascension is yet to come. Go tell the disciples what I have told you. And Mary did that. And for the next 40 days on earth, Jesus kept appearing again and again in a resurrected, glorified, perfect body to his disciples, to his apostles, preparing them, encouraging them, training them, laying the foundation of their ongoing ministry. And we covered that last week in the book of Acts. And so Luke picks up the story in Luke's uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 3, and then we'll read up to where we are today, verse 11. So to these, the apostles, the Lord Jesus presented himself alive after his suffering or his resurrection by many convincing proofs, appearing to his apostles over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, 
Stay in Jerusalem. Stay in Jerusalem. But wait there in Jerusalem for what the Father had promised, which he said you had heard from me. What did the Father promise? Many times the Lord Jesus said, the Father is promising the coming and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit after I ascend into heaven in a way never seen before in the history of the earth. The promise is the coming of the Holy Spirit. Verse 5, for John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. Actually, it would be 10 days later. Verse 6, and so when they had come together, they were asking Jesus, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons or the epics, which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Now, verse 9 through 11. Verse 12 tells us where they are. They returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet. Right now, Jesus gathered his apostles about a mile away from the city of Jerusalem, away from the hustle and bustle and the masses and the confusion and the crowds pressing around to some privacy. And that's where they are. They're on the Mount of Olives or near the Mount of Olives. Luke chapter 24 tells us it was near Bethany. So it's about a mile away from Jerusalem. And when you're standing in the city of Jerusalem, you look up and there is uh, the beautiful mountain, Mount Olivet, overseeing the city of Jerusalem just a mile away. And so that's where Jesus is. He takes his disciples to Mount the Mount of Olives, still there today is near jerusalem a day a sabbath day's journey away just that means about a mile and while he assembles them there privately on the mount of olives that was one of his favorite places the mount of olives where he would find secrecy and solace and prayer and to be alone and to teach his disciples as a comforting place and so he goes there again and verse 9 says and after he had said these things so his apostles are around him maybe in a circle listening to him as he's teaching, fixated on their master, their risen savior. And they're watching him. And after he said these things, he was lifted up, which means he was taken up into heaven, which is the ascension. He began to ascend. And the terminology is that it's an ongoing, continual process that it wasn't an instantaneous disappearance like he did periodically during the 40 days. This was he was on earth and all of a sudden gravity gave way and he began to rise suddenly. And they're watching this and their eyes are fixed upon him and they're watching him as he ascends and is lifted up into heaven. As their mouths, you can imagine, just fall open, their jaw hits the floor, their eyes as big as saucers and they're fixated on the Lord Jesus. They can't believe what is happening. This is amazing. This is miraculous. Maybe they were even frightened. And after he had said these things, Jesus was lifted up while they were looking on. While they were looking on five times, Luke takes pains to talk about that the apostles were eyewitnesses of Jesus' ascension in this passage. Five times. They were looking on. They were watching. They beheld. They saw. They're eyewitnesses, a plurality of eyewitnesses of the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. The ascension is not a myth. The ascension is a historical, verifiable reality that real men saw it, beheld it. It's a fact. 
It's the most astounding fact in the history of the world. And the apostles are watching as Jesus is ascending. And while they're looking on, a cloud received him out of their sight. All of a sudden, as they're looking up, he is enveloped by a glorious cloud. No doubt, the Shekinah glory cloud that so often seen in the Old Testament that manifested the glory of God's presence and his attributes. We saw it in the days of Moses as it hovered over the tabernacle at times. The very presence of Almighty God. God, who does not have a body, would reveal himself to his people at times, selectively through this glorious cloud this same cloud enveloped the lord jesus not too long ago before this event at what was called the transfiguration where jesus pulled aside peter james and john and unveiled his majestic glory where he was literally metamorphosized is the greek word or transformed before their eyes in in glory as the god man and it says that a cloud enveloped him And that's what's happening here, a cloud from heaven. And this is not an earthly cloud. This is a supernatural heavenly cloud. This is a theophany. And this cloud subsumes him and envelops him. And before they know it, they can't see him anymore. A cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky, they were staring, awestruck, while he was departing. Behold, get this. That's what that means. You will never believe this. Get this. Behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. These were angels. Every time an angel appears in a visible form in the Bible, every single time they appear as men. And usually in white. The gospels say two times, dazzling white. As white as the sun, as bright as as the sun and no doubt that was also true of these angels who looked like men their personages were like men yet they were dressed in this amazing glorious resplendent white reflective of heaven where god's glory is and where there is no sin and so these two angels are in white and they stood beside the apostles they just came out of nowhere and the angels spoke up because all the apostles they're standing around speechless Still gazing into heaven with their mouths gaping open. In utter awe, shock, fear. And so the angel said to them, men of Galilee. Men of Galilee. Jesus was known as the Galilean. They are associated with him, the Galilean. And they were from Galilee. It's interesting how specific Luke is here. Do you know that out of the 12 apostles, only one was not from Galilee? He was from the area of uh, Judah, and that was Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot. And we know from the Gospels that Judas wasn't here. Judas was not present. He was a betrayer. He was condemned by God. He never was saved. He was of the devil. Jesus called him a devil. Yet he served God's purpose. And out of guilt, Judas went and killed himself. So they were about to choose another apostle. So they have the 11 apostles here. And every single one of these apostles was from Galilee. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? What a a great question. Why do you stand looking into the sky? Because the greatest event in the history of the world just happened. That's why. They didn't say that. This Jesus who has been taken up from you, taken up, taken up. 
It's a reference to the ascension. The ascension is vitally important. The ascension is just as, if I were to ask you, what's more important, the crucifixion, the resurrection, or the ascension? Which one is most important? Well, they're all equally important. They're all the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're all the work that accomplishes salvation for sinners. And the ascension is so important, it is mentioned 20 times in the Gospels and in the book of Acts alone. And then additionally by the other apostles and the other epistles. 13 different references and ways it is communicated. The ascension. And that's what they're referring to. This Jesus who has been taken up, who has ascended from you. He's been ascended is such a glorious and, and beautiful descriptive moniker that is so fitting of Jesus Christ at this time because he is ascending up. Who ascends up? A king ascends. He ascends to his throne. And that's what the Lord Jesus was doing. The king of kings taken up, ascending where he rightfully belongs. He's been taken up from you into heaven. By the way, four times in two verses, Luke here says into heaven, into heaven, into heaven. It's not just the ascension. It's not just getting caught up. It's where Jesus ended up is also incredibly significant. He ascended into heaven, went back to be with the father and where he reigns even from today. He was taken up from you into heaven, and he will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Absolutely amazing. Well, I just want to highlight some things in this, in these three short yet potent verses. And there is glorious uh, application and encouragement for us today as believers in light of this great ascension. So let's just go look at the three points that I gave you, taking one verse at a time. First, verse 9. And that's the reality of the ascension. As I said, it is not mythical. It is an actual historical event. There is nothing greater that has ever happened in the history of the world than the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ back into heaven. It's absolutely awesome. The critics of the Bible and the critics of Christianity for 2,000 years have tried to dismiss it. They've tried to mock Christians and say you believe in myths. And if the apostles did believe this and write this, they were deluded. And you Christians, for believing this, are deluded. As though it's some fabricated notion. Well, it's not. It's a historical event. It was predicted, prophesied, and actually happened. And there were eyewitnesses that validated and verified it. And God has so graciously preserved the testimony of it in the scriptures for us for 2,000 years. That also, we all we might be blessed in light of this great truth. The reality of the ascension. He was lifted up and... While they were looking on and a cloud received him out of their sight. Take note of the details here. At the scene where Jesus was with his apostles in their presence. I said earlier that the resurrection happened in secret. The ascension happened publicly with witnesses. And the ascension here, we know, happened in the presence of believers. The ascension here happened on the Mount of Olives. The ascension here happened... In the city of Jerusalem or near the city of Jerusalem. The ascension here happened in the country of Israel. The ascension happened with the Lord Jesus Christ going into heaven and being caught up into heaven in a physical body. Jesus, after his resurrection, had a physical body. We know that Jesus' body was physical. We also know that it had bones. Flesh and bones. It didn't have blood. But in Luke 24, he appeared to his apostles and he told them, I am not a spirit, I'm not a phantom, I'm not a ghost. 
For a spirit or a ghost does not have flesh and bones. Do you see that I have? Thomas, touch, feel, see. It was a glorified body. It was a perfect body. It had been transformed. It was different than the body he had for 33 and a half years. For now it was an immortal body. It could no longer get sick or die. Absolutely glorious. It will be suited for all eternity. It will be suited for another dimension in heaven. But it is a physical body. Yet at the same time, Jesus is God. He is almighty God. He is eternal God. Get this. He is omnipresent God, the Son. Yet he has a physical body. How is that possible? How can the Lord Jesus retain his deity of almighty God, including being omniscient at the same time, have a physical physical body? I don't know. That is a mystery. And yet scripture is clear that Jesus is still God in all of his attributes. Yet now he has this resurrection body. This was new. Before Jesus was born of Mary, Jesus existed for all eternity, but Jesus didn't have a physical body. So before the world was created in eternity past, there was only God, the father, God, the son and God, the Holy Spirit. All three persons of the Trinity existed as spirits and did not have a corporal or corporal body or physical body. So what an amazing change for the Lord Jesus to come down to earth to assume a physical body through Mary. And then after death and resurrection to continue to keep a physical body. And then ascend back into heaven in that same physical body. So right now, where's the Lord Jesus? He is in heaven. He reigns with the Father. He's at the right hand. He sits on the floor, the throne of glory. And he is in a physical body. And someday when the Lord Jesus returns, he will return in that same glorious, resurrected, physical body. And the promise to every Christian and everybody who believes in him who repents of their sin and acknowledges that, Jesus, I can't save myself. I can't have forgiveness of sin by anything I do. It's only your work on the cross by which I can be saved. And I believe in your resurrection. I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe you're the only way to heaven, as you said. The only way to the Father, as you said. It is by your grace and not human works. And Lord Jesus, be my Savior. Save my soul. That's the gospel. That's the good news. It's nothing we can do. It's only what he did on our behalf. And if you believe that and acknowledge that and embrace the gospel in the Lord Jesus Christ, then the promise is you will have salvation instantaneously in this life, total forgiveness of all sin, past, present, and future. God will be with you. He'll give his Holy Spirit to live with you in this life. And in the life to come, you will get to spend eternity with God the Father And one of the promises in the future is that someday the Lord Jesus will give to every believer a glorious, eternal, majestic, physical resurrection body patterned of the likeness of what Jesus has here in this passage. And that is the Jesus, that's the Savior that we are waiting for. That is who we look to. He will return in glory in the same physical body. The reality of the ascension. Let's look at verse 10. Biblical truth, starting in the Old Testament. Uh, The Jews had an incredible legal system. It wasn't fickle. It wasn't subjective. It wasn't based on opinion. It was actually dictated by God Almighty who wrote the legal code. God is a God of truth. God is a God of justice. God is a God who hates lies, fabrications. And as a result, that's reflected in God's law in the Old Testament. So anytime there was a legal case or a legal issue or a dispute between two parties, 
the truth had to be validated by the testimony of two or three witnesses, two or three eyewitnesses. It couldn't just be somebody's conjured up opinion. Well, that standard of validating things by the testimony of two or three witnesses is carried over into the New Testament, carried over into the church, and even used by Jesus himself as the perfect judge. Truth is to be validated by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And here the ascension is validated not just by two or three personal eyewitnesses, but by at least 11 human witnesses, the apostles of Jesus, who witnessed this event. That's why he could say in verse 8, you shall be my witnesses. And bear testimony of me. So in verse 10, you have the witness of the apostles. I put there, they were gazing intently five times here. It says that they saw it with their own eyes. Verse 10, and as they were gazing intently into the sky, literally as they were gazing intently into heaven, looking up while he was departing, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. So I want to emphasize there that the apostles were gazing intently. They're watching Jesus. They watched the whole event. They were eyewitnesses. And God used them as faithful witnesses as they began to preach the gospel and write the New Testament and even give their lives in service for the church yet to come by proclaiming the gospel and preserving the truth of God written down in Scripture. We are indebted to the apostles, their faithfulness and their courage and their willingness even to die for the faith that The scriptures might be preserved for us even 2,000 years later. Absolutely amazing. What a cherished, blessed gift that we have. The eyewitnesses. Then it goes on in verse 11. They're introduced in verse 10. And that's the promise of the angels. Once again, you have the testimony of two or three witnesses. You have two angels. It's kind of interesting that at the resurrection of Jesus, it was not just one angel that appeared, but two. Truth being validated by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And they're going to do the same here. These angels were also eyewitnesses. If you go through the Gospels, it's interesting uh, how important the ministry of angels are. Angels were created by God. Angels are real. Angels are supernatural beings. Angels serve at God's pleasure. There are good angels that are elect that will be good for all eternity. There are angels who turned against God and sinned and were condemned and now are demons. They live in the spirit world. They are real. They're not phantom. They're not mythical. Angels are real. The greatest demon fallen angel is Satan himself. But these are good angels. And as you go and read the account of the Lord Jesus Christ from the time of his birth to the time of his ascension, angels are attending the Lord Jesus at the most significant events in his life. A plurality of angels declared the birth of the Lord Jesus. At the time of Jesus' public ministry, after his baptism and after his temptation for 40 days in the wilderness, it says that Jesus was attended by an angel. Then at the end of his ministry, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he sweat great drops of blood and was suffering in his soul and weeping to the Father, at the end of that, it says that uh, angels ministered to him. And here we have angels present at his ascension. And scripture is clear, and even Jesus said it himself, when he returns again someday at the end of the age, at the second coming, when the whole world will see, he will come with angels, myriad and myriad, countless angels in glory. Angels serve him continually around the throne right now, guarding his holiness, bowing down to him, worshiping him. That is the glorious ministry of 
angels. So these angels who looked like men, they were in white clothing. They were sinless. They were from God. They were God's servants. They were there to minister to the apostles and encourage them and explain this event that happened to them. Two men in white clothing stood beside them. And the angels said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, this same Jesus, many religions try to interpret or reinterpret what actually happened to Jesus. Some religions say, well, yeah, Jesus was a real man. And then um, he didn't die on the cross. There was an imposter that they substituted that actually got crucified. Uh, and another religion says, well, yeah, Jesus got crucified and died. Uh, but then when they buried him, uh, they had a substitute in his place. And so it wasn't really Jesus. And on, on and on the myths go. No, the, the, the angels say this Jesus, this same Jesus. Who you spent three and a half years with this same Jesus who has been taken up, who has ascended from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. That, that is an awesome promise. The angels were just simply saying, hey, Paul, don't be discouraged, apostles. You know, you have a mission from Jesus. He told you what to do. He told you to wait. The spirit is coming. You'll carry the baton of ministry and you'll be faithful. The church will be built. But in the meantime, keep in mind and be encouraged and be motivated, knowing that the Lord Jesus is going to come again to the earth. He's going to return for his own. That's called the second coming of Jesus Christ. And they're very specific. The Lord Jesus. Well, how is he going to come? He's going to come in the same way that he departed. What does that mean? Primarily, it means that Jesus left in a physical glorified body. He will return in a physical glorified body. It's not going to be an invisible coming that only a few select people get to see. The whole world actually is going to see it as he comes out of the sky, out of heaven, literally. So this same Jesus, this same Jesus is going to come in the same body. I believe that the Lord Jesus, when he returns, he's even going to have the scars in his hands and in his feet. Because he had his scars in his hands and his feet when he rose again from the dead. He told Thomas, touch, feel, and see, it is me. The book of Revelation. At the beginning of the book, it describes Jesus right now in heaven. And it calls him the Lamb. And it says, and John had a vision of Jesus in heaven, in glory. And John related and he said, and I saw a Lamb standing a lamb standing, that means the lamb is alive. He is resurrected. That's the Lord Jesus in heaven. I saw a lamb standing as though slain. What an irony. What a paradox. How is that possible? A lamb standing as though slain. Jesus is the lamb. He is resurrected. He is alive as though slain. He still bears the mark of his death. The eternal reminder of sinners that that was their entrance of, for them into heaven. And it will be an eternal reminder for us to give praise to the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me, being my substitute. And allowing me to have forgiveness of sin and to be adopted into the family of the Father. And reign in glory with you in heaven forever. This same body, this same Jesus. He's going to return. And also those other things I mentioned earlier will also be true. This same Jesus, he'll return in like manner. The same Jesus, the same physical body, the same glorified body with the marks in his hands and feet. He left from Israel. He will return to Israel. He left near Jerusalem. He will return near to Jerusalem. He left from the Mount of Olives. He will return to the Mount of Olives. Zechariah chapter 14 is a prophecy 500 years before Christ was born that says that when the Messiah comes, his feet will land on the Mount of Olives. Absolutely amazing. 
Jesus left in the presence of his believers, Jesus will return in the presence of his believers. According to the book of Colossians, if you're a Christian today, this is exciting. If you are a Christian today, the promise is that when the Lord Jesus Christ returns at the end of the age in his resurrected body with a myriad of angels in glory out of the sky to planet Earth to land on the Mount of Olives, it says that also his believers will return with him in glory. If you are a Christian today, you will be returning with the Lord Jesus Christ to planet Earth at the second coming. Absolutely awesome. So he left in the presence of his believers. He will return in the presence of his believers. He left in the presence of angels. He will return in the presence of angels. He left unexpectedly. He will return unexpectedly. At the time that he left, his disciples worshipped him. When he returns in glory, the whole world will bow the knee. To King Jesus. Absolutely phenomenal. That's the promise of the angels. And the promise is that the Lord Jesus will come again as you see, as you saw him go in like manner. I just want to leave us with some practical thoughts regarding this called the doctrine of the ascension. So a lot of times we just kind of pass over the ascension. Sometimes we don't even refer to it when we refer to the Lord Jesus. Yes, he lived the perfect life. He was crucified for my sins and he rose again from the dead. Well, it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. The culmination of his saving work is the ascension. And it's absolutely essential. As a matter of fact, I want to read a couple of things to encourage you. And then I'm going to close with 1 Timothy. And I want you to look at it. If you have a Bible, 1 Timothy chapter 3. And we'll read that in just a second. But here are some practical benefits and realities for you to meditate on and for you to be encouraged if you are a christian in light of the of the ascension of the lord jesus christ what the ascension accomplished well number one the ascension completed the work of salvation the ascension completed the work of salvation jesus on the cross said it is finished he's done everything necessary to earn forgiveness of sin and have a right relationship with god the creator And when the Lord Jesus said, it is finished, he knew that included his resurrection, which was a part of that saving work, and also his ascension. So the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ completed the work of salvation. When you speak of the the work of Jesus's, uh, what he accomplished for salvation for sinners, you have to include everything. His incarnation, his crucifixion, his resurrection, and his ascension. They are not to be separated. They are not to be dichotomized. They're not to be compared to one another. Not one of those diminishes the work of the other as Jesus did all of those things from incarnation to ascension. It was all a part of accomplishing salvation for sinners. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Here's an amazing inspired summary from the Apostle Paul who says that very thing. What was the greatest work that Jesus ever accomplished? What, was it his virgin birth, his sinless life, his teaching ministry, his substitutionary death, his powerful resurrection, his ascension on high, his ongoing intercession. What is the greatest work of the Lord Jesus? And Paul, through the Spirit, says all of it. Verse 16, and by common confession, great is the mystery of godliness regarding the Lord Jesus Christ and his work of salvation. He who was revealed in the flesh, that refers to his birth, his entrance into the world, his incarnation. It begins there. 
He was vindicated or justified in the spirit. Meaning God verified and justified every one of his great works during his life from the birth to the cross. He was beheld by angels. He was proclaimed among the nations. He was believed on in the world. He was taken up in glory. Notice this hymn of the early church begins with his birth, the incarnation, and ends with his ascension. It's all one great glorious act from the cradle to the cross to the clouds. That's what Jesus has done for sinners. The ascension completed the work of salvation. Number two, the ascension of Jesus was the sign of Jesus' exaltation and coronation. In Philippians chapter 2, it said that Jesus humbled himself by becoming a man, taking on a human body. And then he died on the cross, he rose again from the dead, and then he ascended into heaven. And with his resurrection and ascension, it says the Father exalted him, bestowing upon him the name above every name. And that is the name Lord. Jesus is Lord. And his ascension is the final exaltation and coronation from the Father to bless the Son, putting him in his rightful place reigning co-equally on high with the Father. So the ascension was absolutely necessary for Jesus' exaltation and coronation. Number three, the ascension prompted the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Jesus said to his disciples, if I don't go, it is to your benefit that I leave. If I don't leave, the Spirit will not come. And so here, Jesus ascending into heaven guaranteed the Holy Spirit will come. And the Holy Spirit does come on the day of Pentecost and just unleashes the church and empowers every believer of every age through this act of Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit who indwells and lives in every believer. The Holy Spirit who is our comforter, our teacher, our guide, and also the one who bestows spiritual gifts on his people. According to Ephesians 4, at the time of the ascension, the Lord Jesus gave gifts to the church. So the ascension prompted the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Number four, the ascension, uh, With the ascension, Jesus embarked on a a great building project, and that is your heavenly home, John 14, 1 through 3. Jesus said, uh, when I go to heaven, when I leave you, I will not leave you as orphans, and when I leave you, I will come and receive you to myself, and in the meantime, as I go back into heaven, I am going to be building a home for you. If you're a Christian, the Lord Jesus Christ has been, for 2,000 years, been building, constructing, preparing your eternal home in heaven. It's mind-boggling. For 2,000 years. And the ascension guaranteed that that will happen. And also the ascension ushered in the beginning of the glorious church that we all are a part of if we believe. And just a couple of more. The ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ initiated Jesus' ongoing work as the great heavenly high priest. Did you know that the Lord Jesus Christ, ever since the time of his ascension, he went and he sat down by God the Father in heaven, meaning he is an accomplished high priest. What does a priest do? A priest prays for and intercedes for others. And the book of Hebrews explicitly tells us that Jesus Christ is our high priest, supernatural high priest, and he continues to intercede and pray for and be sympathetic on your behalf. He prays for you. He prays for me continually, nonstop, evermore. That's why we could go to the Lord Jesus at any time. Cast our anxieties upon him because he cares for you. He's praying for you. He has an attentive ear. He cares about the details of your life. He answers prayer. He goes to the Father and pleads for you and pleads for me, the great high priest and intercessor. And he'll do that until we see him in glory, until he comes again, the great high priest. His work never stops. And then finally, the reality of the 
ascension qualifies Jesus as judge. Qualified Jesus as judge. Jesus, before he left, he told his disciples in John chapter 5 that not even the Father judges anyone, but he has rendered all judgment to the Son. Every human soul that ever comes into this world will be judged, judged by the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that there's an order to judgment. It happens in different phases at different times. The book of Hebrews says that there is death and then judgment for every soul. When an unbeliever dies, rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ and rejecting the gospel, the unbeliever faces immediate judgment before the the throne of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus was clear. If you reject him, he rejects you. And really, there is eternal retribution as a result. Frightening. But if you're a believer and a Christian, the moment you die, you go into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and you don't get retribution, you get reward. You don't get condemnation, you get commendation and blessing because Jesus is judge. So there is a kind of judgment that happens immediately upon death for every soul. And there's also another great judgment that comes at the end of the age when Jesus literally will judge every soul, but every nation and all people of all time. And the judgment is just, the judgment is deserved. And as Christians, we have the opportunity to tell people about the coming judgment. The wrath to come should motivate us to preach the gospel and pray for sinners and pray for salvation and be a testimony to those that we love that they might come to know the reality of the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he came out of a love for the world to die for them, to die in their place, that they might be able to be adopted into the family of God, have their sins forgiven, and live with the Father forever. That is the good news, and that's what we celebrate on Easter, on Resurrection Sunday. With that, let's go to the Father and thank Him for this great and glorious truth. Father, we thank You for this day for Resurrection Sunday. Thank You for preserving Scripture, the Bible, the New Testament for 2,000 years so faithfully, first through the apostles and then through faithful servants of the ages and also through the work of Your Holy Spirit and Your, your amazing providence giving us confidence, knowing that when, when we open up our Bible, we know it is true, it is flawless, it is authoritative, it is your very word, it feeds our soul, it informs our mind, it encourages our heart. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your perfect life, your death on our behalf, your amazing res- resurrection, and your crowning ascension. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for your ongoing intercession on our behalf. Thank you for praying for us. And Father, we thank you for your amazing love for us by bestowing all these blessings upon us. We pray that you're glorified this day and help us to be mindful of you in these amazing realities we've been reminded from your word so that you might be glorified. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Dr. McManus is an author, seminary professor, and pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship. For more information about Grace Bible Fellowship, please visit our website at gbfsv.org or call us at 650-630-0009.